This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Hello and welcome. This is the Best Friends Podcast. Today is July 14th of 2022. The Best Friends National Conference wrapped up on Saturday in North Carolina. And man, it was awesome. I had the best time. If you were able to attend, I hope you enjoyed it half as much as I did. I was able to meet so many of you in person at the conference, which was amazing. I actually lost count of how many people came up to me, said that you listen and you enjoy the podcast, you're learning things from it, that it's helping you in your life-saving work. I mean, that just means the world to us, so thank you. Now, over the next few episodes, you'll be hearing more from the conference. I was able to record quite a bit, did a few in-person sit-down interviews, which I'd not really done at all. You know, we started the podcast during the pandemic, so that was a new experience and very, very fun. And one of the people I I interviewed was Bethany Hines. If you make it to the end of any of the episodes of the Best Friends podcast, you'll hear the list of folks involved in the program, and she is one of those names. She's the Director of Strategy and Network Operations for Best Friends. She is my boss, and she's a good one at that. I promise I'm not just saying that to suck up. She's got a long background in the industry, both with private organizations, local, national. She's worked in municipal sheltering. All of that is to say she knows her stuff. I have no idea why it's taken so long to have her on, but this week we're talking about the findings of the Consumer Adoption Survey commissioned by Best Friends in March of this year. Because on the life-saving front, the 2021 data set showed us that positive outcomes are down. More animals are coming into shelters, and fewer are leaving via avenues like adoption and fostering. And with so many experiencing the same issues around the country, transports are down. It's a tough time. So why are adoptions down? Have we hit some sort of national saturation point of pet ownership? Are external factors like the economy and housing issues to blame? Have Americans just simply given up on having pets in their families altogether? Well, I don't want to give it away, but it's definitely not the last one. We've put links to more information about this survey in the show notes area of your podcast player. You can also go to bestfriends.org slash podcast. So now, with more about the survey, what it is, and what we learned, here's my conversation with Bethany Hines. Well, I mean, let's start with the basics, Bethany. I mean, this consumer adoption analysis, is that the... That is correct. What is it? Why did we do it? Yeah, so we did this, or we uh, used a firm to do this back in March, March 7th to 9th. And what we wanted to understand is knowing that adoptions aren't keeping pace with intake. We found that from the data set last year, right? So we wanted to figure out why aren't they keeping pace? Are people still acquiring pets? Where are they acquiring their pets from? And then as an industry, how can we be responsive to that um, and really help bolster adoption? So that was kind of the genesis behind it. Um, the Terrence Group, I think, reached out to over 2,000 individuals. Just over 800 of them uh, were looking or had acquired a pet within the past year. So this survey really focused on those families that were acquiring pets. And these 2,000 people were across the country, different communities, yep. small? so like it's demographically representative of the United States. Okay. And what did the survey find? That people are still getting pets. Shocker. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Um, that kind of 
whatever we want to call this post-pandemic era, um, hasn't really prevented people from getting pets. It's still happening. In fact, pandemic-related issues such as like returning to the office is very, very low on reasons why people chose not to acquire or spent a couple months making the decision to actually acquire. So um, first and foremost, people are still getting pets, both cats and dogs. So this is definitely still happening across the country, um, which is really exciting because our shelters and rescues are full of cats and dogs looking for those homes and those families. So, I mean, I, I want to focus on the positives always. We should focus on the positives. But I think one of the maybe most important things that this has found and things that is something that a lot of people, I think, think, which is that younger people gen whatever it is these days i don't know which one like young people like early 20s they are more likely than older generations to acquire a pet from a breeder that's true and that's crazy right we see that generation as being um I don't know, our social saviors. <laughs> yeah, socially conscious, <laughs> right? right? They're out there fighting with, yes. against climate change exactly. and all of this stuff. Exactly. They are, though. Younger people are more likely than older generations to acquire a pet from a breeder. And so that's, uh, I think, was a big kind of aha moment that came out of this to make us realize, wow, we are not reaching that generation or the experiences that they're having with us are not positive, And that's turning them more quickly to breeders. So as organizations, we really need to think about how can we get in front of younger generations? How can we improve our processes? So we're able to make that a really good customer experience for these younger generations so they can feel good about what they're doing um, and make it easy and not feel rejected or marginalized. On the contrary, another really interesting fact is that older generations, so those that are 65 and older, not only are animal welfare organizations their number one acquisition point, specifically for dogs, they make decisions in less, the majority of them, more than 75%, make decisions in less than a month. And so older generations are coming to shelters and rescues, and they're adopting, and they're adopting the same day. They're adopting quickly, which is great. I think that there's kind of been this stigma a long, long time ago that maybe still lingers in, in some organizations that adapting um, younger animals or animals in general to older populations isn't a isn't a smart move and it's quite the opposite uh, again the generations that are 65 and plus they're making quick decisions they're coming to you let's embrace those generations um, match them with appropriate pets and get them out the door quickly might be interesting to look at data if this even exists the de- you know the percentages of denial you know how many people under a certain age yeah. how many under 30s did you deny and why mm-hmm. how many over 60s did you or whatever we think that it's because they've been denied they had a bad yeah. customer service experience whatever that was you know why are we denying young people mm-hmm. why do we think that a 24 year old is not fit to adopt. Mm-hmm. Why do we think an 18-year-old is not fit to adopt? That's a good I point. mean, like in terms of like denials, obviously Best Friends as an organization believes in best practices for adoption. Um, and that's always leading with yes, let's figure out how we can match this individual or this family with a pet that makes sense for them in their lifestyle. Um, as soon as someone comes to your organization or walks in your door, they've made the right decision, right? They're choosing to come to you through adoption um, bef- before choosing to look at purchasing from a breeder, breeder or acquiring another way. And so embracing that, trying to get to yes, I, I think is how we would want all of our organizations to respond. 
But if you are an organization that does deny, you know, ad- adoptions, really understanding why, to your point, like, is it because of certain ages? Um, we encourage people to bring multiple people within the organization into that decision. So as opposed to if you've got a, a staff member or a volunteer who can't find a good fit or wants to deny a family, bring in other staff members or volunteers and make that a collective decision to make sure that you're not just having some implicit bias that's preventing you from, from helping that family find the right match. Young people, young people. I think one thing that we sort of underestimate sometimes is the ripple effect of decisions we make. And I think in this case, you know, saying no to an otherwise perfectly great adopter for some reason, Mm -hmm. it's not just sent them to a breeder today. Mm -hmm. That person's 22 years old. Correct. And I mean, what's the lifespan today? Like, that's another 60, 70 years of a person that their first experience as a pet owner going to a rescue, going to a shelter was bad. Exactly. What do you think they're going to do when they're 32 and they're ready to add another pet or whatever? I mean, like this stuff isn't just one day and it affects, quite frankly, affects all of us. I think sometimes for folks, it can be easy to say, well, these are just our policies and you can sort of do whatever you want, but we can't ever lose sight that this entire movement is all connected. All of us. Absolutely. And to your point, the younger generations, not only are you setting them up for a lifetime of acquisition from stores or breeders, they're so socially connected. So if I'm 18 and I have a bad experience with a shelter and then I go to a breeder, I'm telling my 2,000 Facebook friends or TikTok followers. And so they're really spreading that negative experience and essentially uplifting breeding. And so, yeah, it's the not only the lifetime ripple effect, but that instant sort of effect on all of these other families or individuals who haven't even gone to acquire yet. And also, every adopter is also a donor. Correct. Waiting to be a donor. <laughs> like, yeah. And a lifetime donor, right? So again, it's not just a decision you make today. It really has that ripple effect. So not everybody's getting a pet right away. People may say, hey, I want to get a pet, but I'm a little unsure right now. We've got inflation. I don't know what's happening with my job. Like all of these things that we're sort of struggling through right now, you know, those those are the things that people are weighing out. Um, did you ask about that in the survey to get a good understanding? Of, I mean, that's just me saying that. Is that true? Yes, Um, That is true, especially in those younger generations. They are taking longer or more time in their decision-making process. Again, those older generations, 65 plus, are doing it in less than a month. So really reach out to those members of your community. But we did ask specifically, what's delaying? So why is it taking you six months or why is it taking you four months to kind of cross that finish line uh, with acquiring a new pet? Um, And some of the top reasons we found were what we would call, quote unquote, supply issues. So either individuals were struggling to find the type of pet that they wanted, or they were waiting specifically for a litter to be born. And that's something that's kind of interesting from our perspective. And so in animal welfare, everyone you know who works for a shelter or rescue, I'm sure can relate to this. You'll have a family come in and they're like, I want this very specific dog that I saw, or I'm looking for this very specific type of dog. And it's a good place to have a conversation with them. So I come in and I can certainly relate to this. And I'm looking for a small dog under 10 pounds that's over 10 years because we're busy, we're not home, we need a pet that can just kind of lounge all day, right? That's what we're looking for as a family. So I'm coming in with a one-track mind on what I want. So the shelter or rescue can use that as an opportunity to have a conversation about why I want that. So I think I want a small old dog. Well, here's why I want that. And they may be able to redirect me to something else. And so in that case, it's like, do you really only want a small old dog or do you just want a cat? 
Um, are you really just looking for a cat? <laughs> Everybody should be looking for a cat. Everybody should have cats. Far superior pet to yes. have in your life. Sorry to say. Uh, I, I'm going to agree with you. I love my dogs, but my cats are my kids. Um, but no, and so I think that one thing that we can do is not automatically say, oh, well, Sparky isn't available. Sparky has already been adopted. Or no, we don't have any small dogs, but really use it as an opportunity to understand why they were attracted to Sparky or why they think they're attracted to small dogs or, or whatever, um, and help them find potentially a completely different fa- a pet uh, that you do have available that would be a good fit for that family. And um, so I think that's a great way to sort of combat those quote unquote supply issues. Lawrence Nicholas, I think it was him, said, uh, what is fostering if not a temporary adoption? You know, oh, like absolutely. A, right. So if if somebody's unsure, I'm not sure. I really wanted Sparky, yeah. But you're telling me this dog might fit. Yes. Um, okay. Cool. Well, we'll call you a foster. Temporary adoption. Maybe that's not what they want to call it, right? But you interested in fostering this dog? A couple weeks, a week, two days, whatever it is. Go home and try it out. Yeah. And I know a lot of people say, well, we don't want the pet to be going through that. But that's fostering, man. Exactly. That's it. It shouldn't be seen any differently than that. And we do that all the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Foster to adopt programs are fantastic. And they can be for a menagerie of reasons. The example you just had, sort of like really a trial period. Is this a good fit? Was this really what I'm looking for? Foster adopts also work great for individuals that may be underage or they can't have sterilization services yet. But no, absolutely foster to adopt, trial periods, day-long excursions, weekend excursions. Those are all great avenues for families to make sure that this is the right pet that fits their needs and that it's a good fit for them. I will also say, um, with your foster families, and not to get too off topic. um, I love a good derail. Okay, good, good. (laughs) Foster families who adopt their fosters are not a bad thing. (laughs) It's it's the pet is still getting at home, right? And so we definitely advocate for uh, what we call foster wins, um, when foster families end up adopting the pets that are in their care. Don't look at it as losing a foster home. Look at it as gaining an adoption, which is what you're trying to do for that pet anyways. And And that foster who became an adopter doesn't have to never be a foster oh, yeah, again. For sure. I mean, they've yeah. been through it. They know now what they can handle and how that might work and say, hey, you know, when you're ready after this guy's settled in, yeah. Sparky settled in, whatever, are you interested in doing that again? Mm-hmm. And same thing with all of your, look at all of your adoptive families as potential foster homes. Um, that adoption might get them geared back up for it. I, I'm a great example of that. I spent years fostering, obviously, just working in shelters, in and out of shelters my entire career. I'm in situations where it was part of the part of the job, right? You, you take home the litter that just came in and it's 8 p.m. and you've got nobody else that goes home for the night. In my case, the the small angry dog that no one can touch comes home with me for the night. So um, fostered forever. We moved around a lot. Our daughter was born. We had 10 animals at the time that were permanent adoptions. So we sort of took a little break from fostering for a couple years. And then this past weekend, I was visiting a shelter that I used to work with in rural Western Wisconsin, and we adopted three kittens. And now that we've brought them home and it's only been a couple days, I'm like, I forgot how fun and easy this is. Like, I need to get back into fostering kittens for my local shelters. Because like, now that I've adopted three, I remember that this is a great experience. And no, it's not as bad as I thought it was in my brain. <laughs> like, it's, it's a great way 
way for you to take your adoptive families and activate them to fostering, um, even if they've just recently taken home a new pet. I just think that speaks also to the fact that too many organizations see adoption as an endpoint in that relationship. Yeah. You know, like, so true. like we're not really following up and, and saying, you know, can you continue to support, whether that is as a foster yeah. or a donor or volunteer, whatever. I mean, you know, maybe we send a follow-up email, maybe we don't, maybe we get them in that pipeline of the e- but. There's, like we're not doing that relationship in the way we should be because again whether it's they're 22 or 62 yeah. there's that's years that's yeah. years of support that you cannot turn away you should not turn away exactly and just like you shouldn't turn away adoptive families that return their pets because it wasn't a good fit like there is nothing wrong with adoption returns you shouldn't look at that as a failure it's this wasn't the right fit let's get this pet in a different home that is the, the right fit and then let's get this family the pet that does work for them um, I think historically there's a lot of stigma around adoption returns in reality how is it any different than a foster home so if you adopt a pet out for a couple of weeks to a family and it doesn't work and they end up returning that pet that's no different than you sending that pet to a foster home for a couple of weeks right and so just again I'm totally derailing the conversation because now we're talking about how fosters adopting their animals is a win and how people adopt how people returning their animals isn't a, isn't a failure, but yeah, kind of getting back to the reasons for delaying. Uh, Why are you busy? You got to be somewhere. No, I'm, I'm like, I gotta eat lunch in about thirty minutes. <laughs> but kind of going back to the the consumer adoption analysis survey and reasons people were delaying getting a pet. One of the largest reasons was the actual process issues, and that kind of ties back to what we were just talking about in terms of customer service and what that experience is like. So I, I go and I try to find a pet, but barriers are in place that make that take a longer. So maybe the shelter isn't open during atypical business hours. Like let's say I work a nine to five job and the shelter closes at 530. I have to wait for the weekend and maybe they're not opened on the weekend. And then I get there and it's this long seven page application. And when I'm an 18 year old kid, I, I probably am not going to make it past page one, right? I can't tell you how many places I worked where I wouldn't meet the adoption applications. I was with a a very large shelter in Central Texas several years ago. And when I came on board with that shelter, I could not pass our adoption application. And and I was overseeing all of our adoption programs. And so it's a a great way for us to all take a, a second to really think about what is the process to adopt for our facility. So how can someone find me? Are they finding me online? Are they finding me through word of mouth? Are they finding me because I'm easy to access on public transportation? Are they finding me because I'm open? So how are people finding finding my organization and getting to my organization? And then once they're there, what is the experience for them? Are they greeted with someone and having a conversation right away? Do they have to fill out paperwork before they can even come inside? So really understanding what we want our adoption application to do for us and then modifying it in a way that is really focused on just the information that you need and giving you enough to have a conversation with a family. So process issues are a huge turnoff. And I especially see that with that, whatever, whatever this young generation is. So the eight, the 18 year olds, 18 to 24 year olds, instant gratification, isn't it? It is. It is. You think about, they've been raised with smartphones. They've been raised with the internet. Like that endorphin hit baby. You know what I mean? Like that ding, we all go, Oh, somebody's talking to me. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And like embracing that 
impulse. Like, yeah, maybe adapting into pet is impulsive for them. Well, when I walked away with three kittens on a family vacation, that was rather impulsive for me. But you're but, a good person, I, Bethany. I hope so. You're a responsible <laughs> owner. You mean, like, yeah. I mean, you've been denied also. Yes, so I, have. I may think that. But it's, yeah, yeah, anyway, I mean, it all goes back to the point of what are these things that we're just making up exactly 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 so really recommend that as an industry we continue to take a hard look at the the whole adopter experience and what is the process another kind of big reason we we found out of the survey for delay in getting pets is just housing and economic issues the biggest part of that being uh housing restrictions so obviously we know that this is still i'm I'm pretty sure this is still an insane rental market, right? Like, I mean, we're, I don't know when this is ever going to end, but it's impossible to buy a house. It's certainly impossible to rent something. It's extra impossible to rent something that's pet friendly. And it's impossible to rent something that's pet friendly, that's affordable for uh, low income families, right? And so that's a huge barrier. And so this is something that as an industry, we can not necessarily the adoption process can focus on fixing, but just housing initiatives in general. So this is when you, we're, you know, you're going to, to different landlords in your community and you're having conversations like, hey, you, know, you, you have some restrictions. Uh, here's why those restrictions may not make sense. Or you're working with your adopted family to help sponsor pet deposits, those sorts of things. But housing can, can certainly be an issue. And it is expensive. Like the economy is rough right now. Like like a lot of families go to the grocery store and I'm like, wow, this is much different than it was three months ago um, when you're checking out. And that's a reality. I mean, owning a pet is expensive and everything right now is more expensive than it's been in a really long time. And so that that has been a, a reason for delaying that acquisition or that decision for some of these families. And again, I mentioned earlier at the bottom or really towards the bottom of the list was that narrative that people aren't adopting because they're returning to the office. That was very, very low. So travel, returning to the office or starting a new job, sort of those things that have shifted now as we come out of the pandemic, which feels really weird because I feel like there's more COVID right now than there's been in a long time. But as the pandemic situation is different, that's kind of a false narrative. That's not what we're seeing impact people delaying getting their pets. Uh, another one uh, that the in terms of overcoming some of the barriers, uh, just simple customer service stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Make sure your building is open. I mean, yeah. so many shelters, listen, it, this is the way it was in the 70s, right? You'd build the shelter out by the dump. Yeah. It's still there. Even if you got a new shelter in the last, like, 10 years, that's where it was built, yeah. like, right next door. And they're not generally places the public goes or even maybe wants to go. But if they go and you're open from 11.30 to 2.30 on a Friday and that person drove all the way out there and they can't even get in. Yeah. I mean, open your damn doors. True. And with that, like, and this is regardless of how big or small you are, like, cross-train your staff and volunteers. Just because I'm an ACO, I should be able to quickly process an adoption for someone because we can't all just go hire a bunch of staff, right? Like, you can't go hire a bunch of staff to be open 24 hours a day or even 12 hours a day. But what you can do is take staff that maybe are working outside of traditional open hours and allow to schedule an appointment. So let's say that adoptions end at 6 p.m., everyone goes home, but kennel staff is still there cleaning till 8. So set up a window at 7 and 7.30 where you can take an appointment and have that the, the kennel staff support that adoption. So being creative, especially with appointments outside of traditional adoption hours, is a great way to sort of stretch when you're quote-unquote open without having to staff up to accommodate that. 
another really easy sell for this, and I shouldn't say really easy, nothing is necessarily really easy, <laughs> but another sell for this, again, is embracing and uh, empowering your foster homes. So we see a lot of organizations that are doing capital campaigns, and yeah, that's great. A lot of people need new buildings, right? But a lot of us fail to remember that foster homes increase our capacity the same way that building more kennels increases our capacity, right? So bolstering your foster program, getting as many pets out into foster homes as possible, and then empowering those fosters to process adoptions. Then you're basically open 24 hours a day, right? Because you've empowered your foster home to not only market their foster and help find adopters, but allow them to walk through that adoption process on behalf of your organization. And so how many adoptions can you have happening outside of traditional open hours that way? We're creating safe meet and greet spaces for your fosters. So if you do have a facility and maybe it's closed, do you have an outdoor area play yard where you can have fosters come after hours and meet with potential adopters in a safe, you know, well-lit environment? So trying to get creative on how you can stretch those open hours without necessarily having to staff up because, again, we all have very limited resources. Well, what else about this uh, do you want people to know? One of the biggest takeaways is people are still acquiring new pets. And that's hard for us right now to recognize and feel because we see adoptions not keeping pace with intake, especially with dogs. We see length of stay or or time in care increasing, especially with dogs. So it's really easy to feel like people aren't out there acquiring new pets, but they are. So if people are still out there, they're still acquiring new pets. What we're seeing is a shift away from animal welfare organizations and towards breeders, again, specifically with those younger generations. And so we've got to get out there. We've got to get in front of everybody. We have to make our process easy and simplify that instant gratification that you were talking about to help sort of pull that younger generation back in the right direction again. We know they want to do the right thing. Um, We know they're socially connected with each other. We know they talk a lot. They want instant gratification. So let's bring them to our side and then, to your point, build a lifetime of support um, for the work that we're doing. Check out the show notes in your podcast player. There you will find a link to more information about this consumer adoption survey. Again, that's in the show notes area on your player. And you can always see more information about each episode on the website. You can see guest bios, resources for the episode, bestfriends.org slash podcast. Bethany Hines was today's guest, but she's also part of the podcast team, along with Kayla Sebo, Whitney Blyton, Kim Clonch, Tawny Hammond, and Mark Peralta. My name is John Dunn. And this is the Best Friends Podcast.